The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I'm a fairly regular reader of a blog by Daniel Clendenin. Uh, it's called Journey with Jesus. And Dan is a, has a Ph.D. in uh, theology and uh, religious studies from Drew University. He's an evangelical Presbyterian. So he uh, sometimes comes at things from a little different direction. But as I've read his essay, which he writes every week on the coming Sunday's lessons from the Revised Common Lectionary, I find that he has a very generous spirit when it comes to other traditions. And in many ways, uh, although he is clearly evangelical and Presbyterian, he still speaks the language, I think, that we understand and that we uh, resonate with. I was uh, reading his uh, comments for this week, and I found them very helpful, especially since I was uh, substituting today for two preachers, one at 8 o'clock and uh, Professor Perkins, whom I'm very sorry to say could not be here today, but will come at a later date. Uh, so we're all being shortchanged a little bit by not having her at this service, I think. I look forward to what she would have to say about the lessons that we have. But I give thanks for Dan because he helped me out. He brought to mind something that uh, I have experienced myself and perhaps you have as well. He talked about the time that he had been studying at Oxford and during the time that he was there, he said every evening he would walk down the street toward the center of town to Magdalen College. And there he would join with uh, the students in the choir in a service of Evensong. I think Evensong is one of the most beautiful services of the church. And part of that, I think, is because of where it comes in the day. It's always at the end of the day or toward the end of the day and gives one a chance to sit and reflect and to just be immersed in the beauty of worship. Well, that was the experience that Dan had. He talked about how he was moved by the peace and the quiet of that place, the architecture in which they worshiped, the history of that old school, which had been founded in 1448, and also the smell of the candles. And I must admit, I am... I, I favor beeswax candles because you can actually smell the candles. And it brings me back to a time when I remember that first smell of candles in church. And he had the same experience. The boys' choir in their robes and the beauty of the liturgy. Here was this evangelical Presbyterian embraced by the beauty of Evensong. 
Well, one of the things that he said he noticed and he was quite surprised by was the fact that the Song of Mary, the Magnificat, has such an important place in every Evensong. It is a part of, of our evening prayer and also, of course, Evensong itself. It's a beautiful passage, perhaps one of the most beautiful passages from Scripture. But what surprised him was that it's sung in Evensong every night. And he wondered why. Why did it have such a prominent place in the daily office? And he wondered that because he recognized that as Protestants, we have sometimes distanced ourselves from any, uh, any, any uh, semblance of veneration of Mary. We are very careful about that. And I must admit that uh, even though some of my formation has been in the Anglo-Catholic tradition, I find myself uncomfortable when I feel that we're getting too close to veneration of Mary. It's just part of who I am, I guess, as a Protestant. And I think that that's something especially that we as Episcopalians might struggle with because there are Anglo-Catholics for whom devotion to Mary is a very important part of their devotional life. And there are others for whom it is a, a cause of some nervousness in the church. And he was aware of that. And of course, as a Protestant himself and an evangelical, he was very, uh, he was very aware of his own reaction to the idea of what Mary's place might be in the church. But he goes on from there and talks about four reasons why he believes that Mary is so important in the confession of the church. The first, he says, is that Mary was a woman of great faith. Now, from what we can gather, I think it's important for us to understand who she was. From what we know, and we don't know a lot, she was a teenager, someone in perhaps in her early teens. She was a peasant girl and she was pregnant and she lived in Nazareth, a town that was so insignificant. It's not mentioned in the Hebrew scriptures, nor is it mentioned by the historian Josephus or in the Jewish Talmud. And yet it is this peasant girl pregnant in a town of no account who holds salvation in her womb. And when the angel comes to her, her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, the tradition that has come down to us through the centuries is that there's another important aspect of Mary's role in salvation history. God did not act alone in opening up to us the presence of the incarnation of God present with us in flesh. And I think it's an important uh, understanding for us to have that God perhaps never acts alone. God always invites us to be agents with God in action. And that was certainly the case with Mary. This was nothing that she apparently had asked for. And she could have very easily rejected it. But instead, Mary became an agent in salvation history. She became an important actor in God's work. The tradition that's come down to us through the centuries also reminds us that the birth of Jesus was something that was a mystery and something that cannot be fully understood. It's interesting to me as well to think that the church has attributed to Mary 
this um, uh, song of Mary, the Magnificat, that embodies in such a beautiful way justice and mercy. So in a sense, Mary becomes a prophet, a prophet, someone with a prophetic vision of what might be possible in the birth of this child. That this child might be an agent of God's justice and mercy. And that this child might make it possible for the political order of that time and certainly of our own time to be stood on its head. And as it says in that passage, the humble would be exalted and the hungry would be filled with good things. It seems that Mary saw in the birth of this child something that would bring about God's justice and God's mercy in a way that had never, ever been revealed before. And finally, I think that we honor Mary and perhaps most importantly, because she is the Theotokos, the bearer of God. There's a very interesting poem by John Donne, that Anglican priest and poet. It's called The Annunciation. And you have to listen carefully to it because it's, it's sometimes a little hard to hear what he is saying. So I will, I will read it slowly and carefully. I, I should point out that you'll hear all, and the second all you hear is capitalized, referring to Christ. Salvation to all that will is nigh. That all which always is, all everywhere, which cannot sin, and yet all sins must bear, which cannot die, and yet cannot choose but die. Lo, faithful virgin, yields himself to lie in prison in thy womb, and though he there can take no sin, nor you thou give, yet he will wear, taken from thence, flesh which death's force may try. Ere by the spheres time was created, thou wast in his mind, who is thy son and brother, whom thou conceivest, conceived. Yea, thou art now thy maker's maker and thy father's mother. Thou hast light in dark. Thou shuttest in little room immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. What Father Dunn got was that Jesus, the incarnation in her womb, was also the creator, the one that had created her. And now she had become creator. She had become the bearer of God. The third ecumenical council of Ephesus in 431 embodied this mystery in canon law. And they declared that Mary was indeed the mother of God. But they did that for the purpose not of elevating Mary, which I think most of us when we hear that think that that's what's going on with that. It was not to elevate Mary, but rather it was to respond to the heresies of the day and to make it absolutely clear that this child was divine and was divine from within his mother's womb. So from the perspective of the tradition, Mary holds a very special place in the tradition of the church and in the story of salvation. Her exemplary faith, her willing participation in God's work of salvation, her prophetic insight pointing to God's justice and God's mercy, and her role as bearer of God. 
Now, you might be asking how much of all of that actually reflects who this person was. Now, we don't have a project like the historical Jesus project trying to figure out who the historical Mary was. And we probably can assume that what the church has attributed to her has does not necessarily reflect the facts on the ground, as someone might say. I think it's interesting that the Protestant Reformation occurred about the same time as the proliferation of the printed word. And I think that, along with the influence of the Enlightenment, has caused us to become people who are focused on understanding facts, understanding what was it that really happened, all caught up in words. But I think what Scripture is trying to draw us toward is to see the truth that is found in story and in myth. And that truth is real truth. And it's powerful enough to change who we are. I believe that it's not very important whether or not Mary was a virgin. I don't think it's essential for us to understand what the situation was with Joseph and all of that. I don't think it's essential for us to try to figure out the dating of his birth or to try to reconcile the inconsistencies in the birth narratives. None of that is particularly important. What is important is the truth being conveyed in those messages. Jesus, the story says, was born in Bethlehem, the the city of bread. Whether or not he was born in Bethlehem or Nazareth, is another question but the truth that is being told to us is that the bread to be eaten the bread to be consumed is born in the city of bread the house of bread excuse me not city of bread the house of bread I think we get so caught up in trying to sort out what were the facts what really happened that we lose sight of the mystery and the truth that is embodied in that mystery I think especially as we uh, stand on this uh, fourth Sunday in Advent, about to begin our celebration of the Incarnation, it's important for us, I believe, to allow ourselves to be immersed in the mystery, to enjoy and to take in that wonderful story, and especially today to think about Mary and how it is that we might be faithful as Mary was faithful how we might be prophets of God's mercy and of of God's righteousness and justice. How we might, like Mary, be bearers of God, be bearers of the holy, and to take the holy out into the world that is in such pain. And so today I hold before you Mary, this young girl who must have been very confused with all that was happening to her. And to see in Mary the wonders of faithfulness that the church has shown to us in her life. May we be like Mary, bearers of the holy. Amen.